Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by Logan Freeman, who was an ex-NFL player and has made his journey into multifamily real estate investing. So he's got a really interesting and inspiring story that I know you will enjoy. So Logan, welcome to the show, man. Marcus, thanks for having me. I'm excited to hopefully uh, give some words of wisdom and some advice that might help your listeners. Yeah, yeah. I know you have a lot of experience um, on sourcing off-market deals, but I'll let you tell your story a little bit more. First of all, I want to just give a little bit of an intro um, before we start that. So uh, Logan is a real estate investor, developer, and agent who has found his niche in the industry acting as an investment property specialist and actually representing buyers instead of sellers in the transaction process. Logan has completed multiple joint venture projects, equity partnerships, and works as a developer. Completing over 100 transactions in less than a year, Logan has found a process and relies on his most valuable priorities to guide his profit-producing activities. In 2018, Logan founded Live Free Investments, a successful real estate investment firm that ensures strong returns on capital from secure, collateralized real estate investments. Today is a husband and a father to a brand new baby girl based in Kansas City. So there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, I want to let you share your story a little bit and, and then really kind of dig into um, your experience, uh, what, what all happened with your story in the NFL. I find my listeners will, will um, get inspired by that and kind of find that interesting. So do you mind kind of sharing your story? Absolutely. So I grew up in central Missouri, which is uh, kind of right in the middle of the map of the United States and, and lots of fields, lots of big trucks. And the capital of Missouri is Jefferson City. And that's where I was born and raised and, and was there until high school. And, you know, my whole life, Marcus, I really identified as an athlete. I played football, basketball, baseball, and really found kind of my, my strong suit was uh, on the football field. And so after, after high school, I was able to get a scholarship to go play football at a Division II school called the University of Central Missouri, which is about an hour away from Kansas City, where I now reside. And you know, my whole life, I have, I have had a pretty strong work ethic, and, and I'm not the smartest guy, I'm not the best athlete, but one thing I am is very focused and disciplined, and I can, I can take a plan, a strategic plan, and go work it just about as, as good as anybody out there, and so uh, my whole life, I had people kind of helping me and mentoring me and, and telling me kind of what a strategic plan would look like for which, which area of life I was in, and so when I was at college, obviously, we had a great football coaching staff that that uh, helped us kind of develop as young men, but also as athletes and uh, as as student athletes as well. And so, you know, I, I took that very seriously, uh, getting a scholarship, and and I was on the dean's list every semester, uh, even through my master's program at uh, at the University of Central Missouri. And and I really enjoyed uh, the football aspect of it more or less from the, the collaboration with. The, the teammates that I and the relationships that I was able to build when I was there. I was a team captain there for a couple seasons and, and I was able to uh, actually get picked up as an undrafted free agent with the Oakland Raiders. And if your listeners know anything about the NFL, you know, if you grew up a Kansas City Chiefs fan, 
that's the last team that you wanted to go to. Uh, but in the NFL, when they call, you don't say no. And so I uh, went out to Oakland uh, and I was out there for a couple months and it was a pretty rigorous process. And, you know, really physically, I, I was I was where I needed to be. I, I was I, I had trained my body hard. Uh, but the, what I learned was the speed of the game at that level was nothing like I had seen before. And what I mean by that is the plays developed faster. There was I was playing center. And so you had to call out a lot of different pre-calls uh, before the play started. And the schemes I was just un, unused to or not used to uh, working. And so, you know, inevitably I, I was able to beat out a few folks out there on, on the offensive line only because of sheer hard work. Uh, but ultimately I was cut from the NFL. And, you know, when I got cut, I really had to kind of dive back into who I was as a person and what I wanted to focus on. And I have had a few surgeries uh, on my shoulders, on an ankle, and I just decided that I, I didn't really want to um, use my body to make money anymore. I was really I was really excited about taking the next kind of chapter and the passion that I had for football in the, in the college realm did not portray it in the, in the NFL. And so I decided to, I decided to go ahead and go back to school and finish my master's degree, just an MBA at the University of Central Missouri. And when I did that, you know, the scholarship was dried up, so I had to find a job and I had to make some money to pay tuition and rent and, and you name it. And so what I did was I, I had no business experience. And, and so I, I went on and I, I found a job, you know, making cold calls for a company that was about an hour away from Warrensburg. And my schedule was pretty rigorous. I'd wake up at 3.30 in the morning. I would go work out. During this period of time, I also lost 100 pounds. I was an offensive lineman in the NFL. And so I was 335 pounds and I lost over a hundred pounds since then. I've, I've, as kids have come in, I've added a few yeah. of those back Marcus, but I'm not, I'm definitely not 335 pounds anymore. And uh, another pivotal thing happened to me after I finished my master's program. Um, uh, but back to my schedule. So I would work out from three 30 to four 30. I'd get ready for the day and I would drive an hour to Sweet Springs, Missouri, a very small city. And I would make over 250 or 300 cold calls a day. Uh, and just learning how to use the phone and how to sell effectively. And I was very effective and, and I had good results at that job. I knew I wasn't going to stay there long, but I would work until four and I'd drive back to Warrensburg and, and get back to class uh, that started at five. And I'd go from class to five to nine. On Saturdays, I spent over 12 hours in the library just getting caught back up on my schoolwork to finish and stay on that dean's list. And what I found during that period of time was, was uh, personal and professional development. So on those drives, I decided not to listen to music. I listened to podcasts, and that was over eight years ago. And podcasts were really hot, um, or at least starting then. And there was a few podcasts that changed my life forever. And one of them was uh, uh, the one. School yeah. of Greatness by Lucas or Lewis Howes. Sorry. Yes. And so I listened to that and I, you know, I, I read a lot of the books that he would have people, the guests on, and, and I started to read audiobooks as well. And that kind of really changed my perspective on, on what was capable uh, or what I was capable of in the business world. And so uh, that's where I found uh, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad guys. Uh, I read that book. I started following their podcast, Tom Wheelwright and, and Robert Kiyosaki and, and listening to them. And um, a big, another big moment in my life at this period of time is my father passed away 
uh, he lost his battle with drugs and alcohol. And uh, I really, I really had to, to think about who I wanted to be as a man because uh, my father was no longer there. And, and so, um, you know, I dove back into my faith at that time as well and personal development. And that kind of led me into uh, doing some real estate. And, and so when I moved to Kansas City, I decided that instead of, you know, renting a, a place, I would go buy a house. And uh, I had this whole plan of, you know, buying a house, finding a, um, uh, you know, somebody to live with me, a roommate that would pay the mortgage basically. And, and uh, I renovated that house. And two years later, I, I sold that house and, and I made more than my salary was for that whole year. And I said, man, there's, there's something to this. However, I, I knew I didn't want to continue to do uh, single family homes and, and flips. And so I was working W-2 jobs at those times. And, and I had a numerous amount of of jobs from a franchise consultant job with Jimmy John's director of sales at a startup company and then a director of sales at a, at a medium sized 500 person company. And really, you know, I was continuing to uh, learn about real estate this whole time. And, and uh, three years down or four years down my, my working career is when I took the plunge into real estate full time. Yeah. I was fired from my yeah. safe six figure, what I thought was safe six figure sales job here in Kansas City. And at that time, I decided to uh, go ahead and start my own company and also get into real estate. And so I had a mentor at the time that that had a really successful uh, real estate company. And I went on as an agent there and was the head of acquisitions for, uh, for that company and uh, learned a lot about real estate, learned a lot about myself. And I also started a consulting firm at that time where I was helping small and medium-sized firms uh, train and develop their salespeople. Six months into the job, I had done over 55 or 60 transactions. And my wife uh, is very strategic. She, she took me on a walk and, and she said, you know, Logan, it's been pretty awesome what you have been able to do over the last six or seven months. But I think if you focused on one uh, of these aspects, you would be much more successful. And that was the day that I, I called my clients and said, after these uh, engagements on the sales consulting side of things, I'm going to stop doing that and go full-time into real estate. And so, um, you know, ever since I have been a full-time agent um, and then that kind of parlayed into buying properties myself, I moved firms and uh, went to a commercial and multifamily brokerage and started Lift Free Investments throughout this whole, this whole process as well. And I know that's a very long-winded story, Marcus, but that's about as short as I could make it. No, no, no. I appreciate that because otherwise I just, uh, I'd be asking you questions to kind of pull out the rest of the story because I, I know it, I've heard it and and I kind of wanted you to have the opportunity to share that with my listeners. And, Absolutely. And no, so I appreciate that even though you say it's long-winded, it's it's, it's valuable. Um, and I can resonate with with what you're saying there, being an athlete and I, I obviously wasn't at, at a level of, of what you were doing into the NFL, but I mean, you have that identity crisis when you're like, okay, I've you know, played a lot of sports. You know, I growing up, I played a lot of basketball. And you're heavily involved in it. You think about it all the time. That's where your friends are involved. And then it's like, well, what's next? Where do I apply myself or where is my next passion? Because you, mm -hmm. you're playing sports. You're just like, oh, I'm having fun and I like it. I'm working hard. And, but to your point there, what I take from, from what you shared with your story is you developed so much like work ethic and these, these skills that are, were directly translated into your work, into your schooling, into your business that you, you founded. And so that's awesome. And 
And I was going to ask you to transition from uh, the NFL and, and getting into your next job. But I mean, I feel like you already pa- unpacked that and how that happened from, I've heard it being called the, the mobile university, right? Like that's, that's right. That, you got listening to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You heard the book, you, or you read it. Is that what triggered you? Like, hey, real estate is the way? Well, I think it was, I think it was twofold. And that's a great question. You know, it was the podcast and the, and the, and the learning and development that I was going through. And, but it was also actually getting in and completing that first transaction, even though it was only a live-in flip, I saw the uh, potential that it had. And I, I knew I was working 40, 50, 60 hours a week at a W-2 job. And I worked for, or I lived for free for two years, added some value to the property, and then made my whole salary in, uh, in that time. And so it was, it was the learning and development that I believed in. I read the books, I was educating myself, but then I saw a real world example of that actually playing out in my life. And I said, man, I really think that this is, this is the way to be able to actually create wealth for myself. Right. But, and, and at what point was it a making that jump from single family into multifamily? Cause it sounded like you made that transition pretty quick. Um, but uh, what was it that uh, you had that clarity in your mind? You're like, Hey, I need to jump into multifamily. Absolutely. Another great question. And you know, after I left the firm uh, that I completed, uh, we did 225 transactions in 18 months for this group. And uh, so it was, it was an incredible learning experience. But when we finished their fund of single family homes, I sat down with the sponsors of that. And I said, guys, you know, because we were buying houses with cash, seven day closes and and no inspections. And so I said, guys, where did this money come from? Surely, you know, you guys are, are doing well in life, but you know, did you have $50 million to, to go do this with? And they said, no, no, no. It's what's called a syndication. Marcus, that was the first time I had ever heard that word. Um, and so I started researching what that was and the people that were involved in those types of uh, structuring those deals. And I came across um, Michael Blanc and Joe Fairless and these types of, of guys, the real estate guys, uh, Russ Gray and Robert Helms. And that's really when my eyes were opened. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to take this to the broker that I was working with at the time. And I said, you know, I'd like to start doing commercial and multifamily. And he said, look, that's great. Uh, there's, it's, it's apples and oranges. I don't have any experience in doing that. And he had no, um, he had no, uh, I guess, initiative to assist me in that. So I left that firm. And when I did, that's when I, I founded Live Free Investments and moved my license to a commercial multifamily brokerage after I had uh, sat down with those sponsors asking them how they structured their fund. And I, and I figured that's what I wanted to do. That's awesome that you learned that earlier in, on in your career because, I mean, some people get stuck in that, well, I'm not going to call it a rut, but they continue doing uh, single family and they don't find out this elusive word of syndication, right? And bringing together uh, groups of investors and passive investors and how to structure deals that way. But it's, it's good that, um, you know, you came along that early in your career and were able to make that, that pivot. But I mean, that's why it's important to have, you know, educational content like this out on the internet and available for people to listen to, because I mean, the, hearing your story, you're a product of it. You know, I know I'm a product of it. That's how I learned a lot of this stuff. Like all these guys you're talking about, Joe Fairless, Michael Blanc, these, these guys have consumed hours of their content and, and just And it's listen. free. Yeah, it's crazy. It's free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So that's the valuable thing. But I want to get into um, where you are today and what what you're working on now, because I know you have an interesting model on how you actually assist investors. You know, you act as a broker, um, but you also invest in the deals, but you also find deals directly for the out-of-state buyers. Can you explain your, your business model and how it works? And then we'll kind of dig into how you're sourcing your deals. Absolutely. So it's, it's interesting because when I moved my license to the commercial multifamily brokerage and, and started Live Free Investments, I really tried to take stock of what the, the market needed. And I've always been an entrepreneur, you know, thinking mind, especially after listening to all of those podcasts. And I, and I realized that there was a big need for out-of-state investors to have representation as a buyer's agent and or um, you know, putting together a syndication, um, especially if they had never been to the market, they had no team here in place, and they, they had no idea what areas to start with. And so I, I parlayed that into kind of a, a program, so to speak, a free program, and I don't, I don't have a formalized version of this, but each client that I would bring on I would really take Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, the main one being starting with the end in mind, and I would try to understand what their goals were. And if their goals really were, hey, Logan, I want all the benefits of doing real estate, but I don't have any time to actually do it, then I knew that they would probably be open to being a passive investor. If they said, I've already done five or 10 transactions, I'm looking to actively own and manage this real estate myself, then I would be like, okay, well, I think it's, it's a good idea for us to work together as a, uh, an agent kind of client situation. And so I put all that together and I said, look, whatever you need, I'm gonna build out my own team here in Kansas City that is you know, from start to finish with the lending, with the attorneys, with the property management, with the general contracting, and, and finding the projects. And so really, it, it kind of came into um, fruition by an organic process of just listening to my clients, what they were trying to accomplish, and then going fitting and figuring out the structure that would make most sense for them. And so today, I still do both. I, I typically work with clients who are in a 1031 exchange, um, and, and that's only because I'm to the point in my career where I can select who I would like to work with, and my transactions are typically $2 million and above. And so uh, I do two or three of those a month on the brokerage side, and I do about four to six, depending on the, the year. Obviously, with everything that's going on right now in our in our climate and 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 uh, with the coronavirus, I might do a few less transactions on on both sides of the of the of the equation with the brokerage and the acquisitions. Uh, but I try to do between four to six acquisitions personally a year that I can take to my investors that don't want to be as active but still want all the benefits of of being in real estate. And I have found that it has it has fed each other. So there might be a, a deal that I find, and I might be too busy. Or I might not uh, have the return, same return criteria that one of my clients does because they're looking for a stabilized asset and that way I can broker the deal. Or I might find one that I really like and it's large enough that I think that it makes sense to do a full-on syndication on and then I can bring that to my, my clients and so uh, my passive clients. And, and so really it just, it, it feeds on top of each other and, and they really do well working together. And you know, being a broker, here in Kansas City, I have all those vendor relationships that a team 
you need to be able to set up a team if you're going to actively do it here in Kansas City. Right, right, right. So you talked through a lot. I want to unpack a few things here. It sounds like you've got quite a bit of what's called deal flow. If you're able to be sending deals to out-of-state investors, but also be looking at them for yourself. So you've built up a good system of being able to find and source these off-market deals and good deals that uh, make sense for out-of-state investors, but also for yourself if they if if they pass you know come across your desk and they make sense for you. So can you break down some of the secrets? Or what are some of the strategies that are working well for you to to find these deals in this more competitive market? You know, it's it's interesting because, you know, I get that question a lot. And being so active in the market from a broker's standpoint, uh, I get a lot of I get a lot of projects sit to me uh, because I have a reputation of, a, of being a closer here in Kansas City. And so I get a lot of, of, of deal flow sent to me just because of, of the, the network that I have created here um, from, from the standpoint of actually trying to rummage new projects up. It's a, it's a, it's an equation that I have put together and there, there is a, you know, I have a full-time uh, virtual assistant that is either calling passive investors or they're calling property owners. I have, three agents that I work with on a regular basis that uh, I will co-broker uh, a listing with and they might not have as much experience as me. So they're willing to do a lot of the work up front and uh, help me uh, to, to fill that pipeline as well. And it's just knowing all of the active multifamily brokers here in the Kansas City market and realize letting them to know that, you know, a lot of times you know, collaborating with me because, you know, some people don't want to uh, cooperate, so to speak. That's a kind of a technical term, but co-op with another agent. And I make the case that, you know, I have sophisticated buyers. They are ready. They have financing lined up and we have realistic expectations. And either the seller can pay, you know, my fee or we can bake that into the purchase price and the buyer could could actually pay uh, my fee on the brokerage side. And so uh, for me, it, it really is a multitude of things. I also host a meetup here in Kansas City. Uh, it's a real estate investing meetup that uh, we get 55 people on a regular basis to come to. So I'm in front of those folks talking about strategies. It's LinkedIn, it's social media, it's um, actively being on podcasts, it's being uh, out there at networking events, it's outbound calls, and it's doing a lot of, of inbound lead generation as well via um, some, some really interesting marketing strategies that we're implementing as well. So I don't know if there's really one uh, kind of tip, but it's, a, it's definitely a big kind of, I call it a investor acquisition system. Uh, or a property acquisition system. And there's a lot of inputs that go into that system. And there's a lot of manual labor that goes into it as well. I wish there was an easy uh, way to push a couple buttons on a, on a, you know, a computer to be able to get off market deals. But when we're talking about 50 plus unit multifamily projects, that's just not the case. Right. And, and it's something I feel like I'm going to pull out of that, that I feel like it is important. And I feel like I've heard you talk about it before, but it really comes down to relationships, especially with yes. brokers, right? So what have you found that's worked well with building those relationships with brokers? Because it does take time. It does take effort. Um, but how have you done that and done it well? Because when you're starting out, they might not even take you seriously. How did you overcome that? And how have you 
become that person that when they're dealing with you, they know you're a closer. Like how, how have you built that up over time and built those relationships with brokers? Well, the first thing I will say is I, I, I moved my, my license to a very reputable firm. And that was a very strategic uh, move for me because they have a great reputation in the marketplace. So just having the email address that I do um, allows me to get conversations started with folks. So that was, that was one big thing for me. Now, that doesn't help your listeners necessarily. However, I have many brokerage clients that have, have told me that uh, the way that they build relationships with brokers is uh, to visit the market, uh, Marcus, and, and actually come and see properties. And I know that that takes time and that takes effort and it takes dollars. But when you put a face to a name and you're not just an email that somebody's dealing with, uh, people take you seriously. So that's a big, big tip that I would say, if you're seriously considering investing into a new market, go visit it, get on LoopNet and see who the top five brokers are and, and ask for meetings and ask for showings. So that'd be, that'd be one way. I think the second way that I really think you can do uh, from a scalable perspective is get online, get on all of the brokerages uh, newsletters, get their, get their current projects that they they have for listings and give an nice full underwriting analysis on why something would or would not work and make a good case for uh, either way. And, and that just looks like, you know, somebody jumping on uh, the T12, taking a look at what the income is, and uh, making some correct assumptions and talking to lenders and even saying, hey, I have some lender partners that I have already built relationships with. That goes a long way as well. But then sharing that underwriting in a way that a broker can digest it and really understand that one, you're a credible and knowledgeable person. And two, uh, you have somewhat realistic expectations because the first thing that turns somebody off from a brokerage standpoint here in Kansas city is somebody to come in and say, Hey, I'd, I'd like to do, you know, hundred plus unit multifamily projects. I like them to be circa 1970s, uh, suburban, um, kind of garden style multifamily projects. And I'd like to have them at a seven and a half percent cap rate. You know, that's just not doable in Kansas city right now. So knowing the market, knowing what the, the going cap rates are, knowing the areas and really educating yourself on as much as you possibly can about that market before speaking with uh, brokers is extremely and vitally important to building credibility in a relationship with them. Right. No, you you had some very valuable uh, insight there. I know you talked a little bit about providing value and feedback or analysis even to the brokers. Talk a little bit about that. I know I've heard you say about even providing a video analysis that you send off yes. to the broker. I'll let you, uh, I know it's triggering something for you now, so I'll let you kind of share how you might do that when you're discussing a deal with a broker. Yeah, you know, I think was really effective uh, for me or had a client that w- what they did for me was, you know, they took the T12 that, that uh, I had provided for a project. Uh, they did a quick sh- uh, screen share where they were just uh, recording their uh, screen and they worked through uh, the assumptions that they made uh, they worked through uh, the different analysis that they did, and they talked to me. It was a 30 to 45 second clip. I could open it in my email, and they talked through, hey, uh, you know, at this purchase price, you know, these levels of returns are not uh, high enough for my for my investors. But if we were able to get it for uh, 4.7 instead of 5.2, I think there's a conversation to be had here. So one, they screen shared their their computer. Two. 
They talked through what their criteria were. Three, they worked through the uh, assumptions that they made. Uh, and then four, they sent that to me in a timely manner. So if a deal goes out less than six, you know, 72 hours later, I had that video back in my, my inbox and I knew exactly why or why not uh, that deal was going to work for them and where they needed to be at. And that was extremely valuable for me to understand uh, what type of deals that they would be looking at, but also uh, their expectations. And it, it prompted another conversation because if their assumptions were off, maybe about a vacancy rate, an operational expense ratio, um, or anything of like that, rent increases, you know, you name it. If that was off, that was able, I was able to give them a call and say, hey, let's rerun that model at this, this, and this, and let me know what you think, because this, that's exactly what it needs to be at. Uh, and any reputable or uh, active broker will be able to rattle those numbers off for a client very, very quickly. All right. And I know you mentioned um, you're using some marketing strategies uh, more recently. You're trying to grow that aspect to, to find more qualified yes. leads and deal flow for off-market deals, but also for uh, qualified buyers that you know could potentially be investors into these deals. So could you touch on some of the marketing strategies that have helped accelerate uh, your deal flow and, and relationships with out-of-state buyers? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have been engaging on LinkedIn heavily. And there's a few folks on LinkedIn that uh, I have networked with and I have spent a lot of time with understanding what they do on LinkedIn. Yona Weiss is one of them. Ellis Hammond is another one. Uh, both two, two really great guys to uh, talk with. Had Ellis on the podcast already. So that's wonderful. That's wonderful. He, I was on Ellis's LinkedIn uh, tutorial webinar for 20 minutes this morning. I was hoping to make that one, but I, could, I couldn't make it with my schedule. You know, he, he's dropping a lot of knowledge for a lot of people. And so that's, that's a great resource. So I've been heavily involved with LinkedIn. I've been heavily involved with um, uh, additionally changing the look and feel of my own website. Um, I have, I've realized that uh, a website is basically a funnel and uh, my website is talking to people that are uh, more or less in the middle to the bottom of the funnel and I need to be more of the top of the funnel. So that means more educational resources. That means targeting folks that may not be already real estate investors. Uh, so it's very educational based, especially after reading and going through Hunter Thompson's book, uh, Raising Capital for Real Estate and going to his event uh, in January and speaking to him about it. Uh, so I've been changing it from an educational model. Uh, I've been staying consistent with posting. I, and then also I, I have outsourced ghostwriting. So I have two or three blog posts that are, are written a, a week that I, I now get formatted and posted out on my blog. And uh, Bigger Pockets is another big lead uh, generator for me uh, that I am on. And so um, all of those things are to say that, you, you know, I think it's being seen, it's being known, and being the, having the ability to build a relationship after you have uh, the exposure that you need. Uh, I have no problem getting to a point of people liking and trusting me. I just need to be more known widespread. And so uh, that's been really a big focus for me. And I'll give you a great example. I had a 40 unit listing that is now under contract uh, for one of my clients. And he went out to Joe Fairless's best ever conference. I think it was in January, could have been in February. I'm not really sure. Uh, but he was out there with his lender and they were talking to a group of investors that lived in California. And my client wasn't there at the time. And the lender 
I was talking to these guys and they said, well, where are you interested in, in purchasing? And, and the investor said, you know, we're, we're really looking at Kansas City right now. And they said, no way. I, I have a, a friend here that lives in Kansas City and he actually has a multifamily project. And they started talking a little bit more about it. And uh, they realized that they were one of the parties that offered on that, on that project. And so um, that happened four different times at that conference. And so I've been utilizing social media, uh, my, my presence online to, to connect with folks that do not live in Kansas City as well. And that has been able to build my brand in, in, as well. And so they were actually able to meet the owner of the property at a conference that I wasn't even at. And that's just the power of, of social media and utilizing it in the right way. So I've been really focused on just staying consistent and staying uh, really disciplined on the posts on, on all of those different platforms. Right. Would, would you say that that's the, um, the main strategy for, sounds like you've built up a lot of relationships. Now I'm kind of shifting a little bit to focus on the out of state buyers, right? sounds like you've got a good uh, amount of people that are reaching out to you looking for deals in the Kansas city market. Um, is that, would that be your main source of, of building those relationships or people it's, and it sounds like they're, they're people looking, actively looking for, um, you know, deal flow and it, they could be sophisticated investors. I, I don't really know your whole, your, your, your investor base or your, your buyers, but it sounds like you've got a, a nice uh, network of people looking to invest into Kansas city. Um, would, would you say that those strategies you're talking about now from the online presence, the, the branding and that type of thing being the main source of, of, of finding those buyers or, or is there something else that's working really well for you? I think what's working really well for me. Yes. The answer is yes. But I think what's really working well for me is add value, add value, add value, and never ask for anything. I am to the point where I'm so busy that I don't have uh, necessarily the need or time to ask uh, people for for all that much. And, and so uh, it's hard to do this whenever you're first getting started. But if you can get to a point in your career, in your business, that uh, you're just adding value, adding value, adding value to folks, you never really have to ask because it just, it just naturally happens. And so uh, I have never been one to spam people on social media, on emails. I've never been one to be pressuring people. Uh, it's always more of a how can I add value to your business, to what you're trying to accomplish? Even if I'm not the right fit, you know, maybe you are looking for a transaction under $2 million. Who can I introduce you to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so it comes from a place of abundance and a place of, I want to help others reach their goal of, of passively or, or, you know, actively investing and letting that create the opportunities that it has for myself. And so I think people feel that they see that it comes through. In all of my, my LinkedIn posts, it comes through in the conversations that I have. And at some point, uh, they might become a client. And so uh, you have to have a, a marketing strategy, yes. But I think more than that, you have to have uh, a value add strategy. And, and Zig Ziglar said, you know, if you help enough other people get what they want in life, you're ultimately going to get what you want. And I used to listen to, to Zig Ziglar tapes in my car on the mobile university. And um, you know, that was one thing that rang true in, in, in my head. And I've always remembered that quote. And I've just tried to take that same mantra and apply it to just about everything that I do. And so uh, I don't pressure people. I don't ever ask for anything. Uh, but when the time is right, they know who to call. And, you know, I've been able to pass a lot of folks off that I might not have been the right fit for. And I think a lot of people in my shoes would get territorial and they would not want to do that. 
but I have um, an abundance and a growth mindset like like Carol Dweck talks about. And so I believe there's enough out there for everybody to uh, be abundant. And so if I can just help one person get to where they need to go, I can ultimately get where I need to go. No, I love that. You just dropped so much gold right there. Um, you know, the, the common word there was value, value, value. Just add so much value That's right. back. And uh, I love that you even went back to the old one of the old timers, Zig Ziglar's. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I started him years ago and I, I don't even think I've uh, listened to any of his content recently, but uh, that's an old timer and, and it definitely shows yes. this personal development thing for a while. So uh, yeah, that's awesome. And another thing, uh, you're mentioning LinkedIn and actually that's how we connected. Um, I actually, I yeah. don't know um, where I saw it. Maybe it was one of your posts and, and it said you had a rule um, that if you see somebody's post three times or, or something like that in your feed, that's right. It's a requirement that you reach out to them. And I think that's a cool, cool uh, little rule to follow because it's the people that they're constantly putting out content or adding value on, on that platform. Those are the people you want to connect with. So that's actually the reason why I connected with you because I saw you post. I do remember that now. Yeah, that's so cool. I sent you a message and I'm like, hey, I saw that rule. I thought that was cool. I've seen, I've seen your content more than three times in my feed. So I figured it's about time that I reach out to you. So uh, really cool. That's wonderful. Yeah, I want to um, ask this one piece of advice here. Um, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self about this real estate business? I would say that I, I would just get started earlier and I would probably delay gratification a little bit more than I did. And that's all to say that, you know, uh, life is to be enjoyed. But I remember back whenever I was working the W-2 jobs, man, I just lived for the weekend. And this was even when I was going through all the personal and professional development. But if you can find one mentor, you know, from your church, from your community, from anywhere that would be able to spend time with you um, and, and make sure this mentor is somebody that lives the life that you want to live uh, later in life, um, find that person as soon as possible and, and spend as much time as you possibly can. Add value to them as well. And try to see how that will exponentially increase your results. I wish I would have done that just a little bit earlier in life. Um, you know, I think everybody's circumstances are different. But if I had one piece of advice, that's what it would be. It, it, reading the books is good. Listening to the podcast is good. But what's even better is finding somebody locally that you can spend time with that is living the life that you want to live and that you really respect and figure out how you can how you can model their lives and watch your your results increase exponentially. No, I love that. And and uh, that you gave me you know, just the answer that I was expecting. I actually heard that on a said on another podcast this morning and I'm like, hey, I should ask that question and give a little test trial, see if see if uh, Logan's given the same response of uh, what I've been hearing over and over from these other guests. But uh, no it never changes. It's the best advice that I yeah, ever have. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to be respectful of your time and here and start wrapping up, um, but I'm going to take it into the final four questions awesome. where you give short point answers. So knowing that you're a junkie of, uh, you know, reading, developing yourself and, 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 and books and stuff. So what is your favorite real estate or business book? Man. Okay. So from a real estate standpoint, I'm going to have to say what the book that really um, helped me out was Gary Keller's uh, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. It helped yeah. me understand how to look at properties, understand all the lingo. Um, it broke out really simple examples, and it really motivated me to uh, get get moving on the path, but also gave you some really great actionable advice. Um, so that'd be my real estate book. 
from a business perspective, I'm going to have to say uh, right now, uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. You know, we are going through a really interesting period of time right now, but you, until you get the man or the woman right, so AKA yourself, until you get that right, you can't get your business right. And so I would, I would just challenge every listener to read that book. It's a little... Uh, it's a little volatile. I don't know if that's the right word or uh, he uses, you know, profanity, but he uses it to get his point across. And that guy was at rock bottom and he's become one of my role models in life. And so Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins has changed my perspective in life. And I'd say that's probably the best business book right now that, I, that I'm, I'm thinking through. Oh, that's awesome. I haven't heard of that one, so I'll have to check it out. Um, what is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing? Everything takes longer than you think. Do not be aggressive on your assumptions for the time it's going to take to lease up, to close, and to do construction. All three of them. All right. What's a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? It's my morning routine. So I'm a, I'm a proponent of Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning, silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing. And so uh, my morning routine getting up at 4 a.m. every single day. I know that I'm beating um, other people up and I'm working on myself. Uh, I've had my scripture in there as well, but it's my morning routine for sure. No, that's great. I've, I read the Miracle Morning a couple years back and have implemented those those systems. And, and yeah, I love the book. I'm not definitely not up at 4 a.m., but uh, trying to get up a little bit earlier. So to do that, sure. it really starts off the day right. Well, um, so 4 a.m., that's motivating. <laughs> so what do you do for fun? You know, I uh, spend time with my wife and my one-year-old daughter now. And um, I would love to read more. However, reading has become more and more difficult to find time to do. Uh, but I, I, I really love spending time watching my little baby girl grow and watching my wife interact with that and just spending quality time with them. It's, it's my favorite thing to do. No, that's important to make time for the things that really matter most to you. And, you know, you can get so caught up in these you know, hustling and, and growing your business and, and doing whatever you're doing in your career that uh, it, it can easily be distracting from the really important things. So that's, that's really motivating and inspiring to, to make time for that. And, and I know I've got a, uh, a baby on the way. Awesome. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that in the, in the next month here. So it's really exciting. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, but Logan really, really was a pleasure having you on the show today. Um, it was great. You, you added a lot of value. You know, I appreciate all the, the information that you shared with my audience here. Um, really appreciate you coming on and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. This was one of my favorite episodes, Marcus. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Okay. Take care. To connect with Logan, visit his website, www.livefreeinvestments.com, or connect with him directly on LinkedIn by searching Logan Freeman. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.